I've never been much of a tough guy. Like, sure, I get mad all the time, but I'm not really very tough. Like, whenever I get mad, even that is kind of an embarrassing thing for other people to witness because I tend to get really flustered or I end up acting like I'm really tough and I'm really mad and confrontational. For instance, I have been known to go through fast food drive throughs several times if they don't get my order right. And I'll pull up to that window with righteous indignation on my face. But usually by the end of that conversation, I'm like, hey, thanks a lot. No, buddy, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's not a big thing. And I guess since I was a little kid, I've always just been a little bit more passive overall. When I was younger, my dad and my uncle and my big brother used to go on camping trips every summer. And we'd go out in the blistering heat and shoot bows and arrows and make a fire and sleep under the stars and all of that good stuff. I remember we used to get up really early in the morning and go fishing, and then my uncle caught most of the fish. And when he was done catching them, he would have me and my brother like prepare the fish, so we'd have to kill them and cut them up and all of that. And then we would actually eat those fish for breakfast or for lunch that day you know, like total monsters. And if that sounds like a fun and relaxing way to spend your weekend, then congratulations, because you are a lot tougher than I will ever be. Because I always thought that was gross. I always thought it was smelly. It was too hot. I was always too tired. I was the kind of kid that liked to just stay inside, play my video games, play on my computer, watch some movies, read some books, and of course, listen to heavy music. Because even though I wasn't really like a tough guy objectively, for whatever reason, I listened to hardcore and metal music almost as a way to feel tough without actually being tough, if that makes sense. And I think the closest I ever got to being tough or legitimately hardcore was whenever I went to Cornerstone when I was in high school because we would camp outside for a whole week. But like even then, like they had food trucks and stuff there. So it's not like I had to hunt for my own food. And even though I was outside most of the time, you know, they had showers and stuff like that. So I, I would tell people, oh man, that was a really rough week and we really toughed it out or whatever. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make now that I'm three minutes into this podcast is I am not a tough dude. And I never have been super manly or tough, except for one very specific period of my life, which we're going to talk about in this episode. And the other thing I want to talk about in this episode is the band, the Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. And as funny of a band name as that is, what I always liked about this band is, number one, they are super heavy, super extreme, super in your face. You know, if, if this was discography discussion, I would tell people that this is a mathcore band, right? And basically what I mean by that is these guys sound kind of like Dillinger Escape Plan mixed with like a deathcore band. Like Dillinger's crazy heavy and, and has all those wild, insane riffs and time signatures and all that. And Tony Danza has all that too, but this band has a low bottom end that makes me feel invincible whenever I listen to them. And so I heard the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza for the first time in, I want to say, 2007 when I bought their album Danza 2. And what struck me about that album was that they were super tough, super extreme, super in your face, super heavy, had that bottom end, all of that. 
Bruce Fitzhugh from Living Sacrifice does guest vocals on that album, so that makes it worth the price of admission. I snatched it up and I loved it because the thing that I liked the most about it was that it had these little skits that were performed by the band members themselves. And they were making fun of, like, you know, a dive bar. And they tell this, like, little story and skits about this, like, midget that goes crazy and kills a whole bunch of people, you know, in a Louisiana dive bar. What I liked about that was that it was tough and crazy and heavy, but it was also very self-aware. And then whenever I got their next album a couple years later, Danza 3, A Series of Unfortunate Events, that one was straight up brutality. And that was a record that I would listen to all the time when other people were around. You know, because I wanted them to know, hey, I listen to this super extreme, heavy, brutal, crazy stuff that you're totally not going to understand. Like, I was that guy in the meme that stands in the corner at the party and is like, I bet they have no idea that I listen to the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza. You know, and so for a long time, that's what that band was for me. Until I got to the year 2012. In 2012, the band put out Danza 4, the Alpha, the Omega. And I got this record right after I had started working as a cable technician. Because before that, I worked in a video game store, and it was not a very brutal job. And you may not think that a cable technician is a very brutal job, but uh, I'm going to try to explain that the best I can as we go on. The point is, is that before I got this record... The types of jobs that I worked were always inside jobs. Like my first job was working as a guy that answers the phone at H&R Block. And then I did fast food and then I did banking and yada, yada, yada. You guys know the rest of my work history. But the thing about all those jobs is they were inside. They were not tough. So like I could show people this tough, crazy, heavy music that I listened to, but it was more of just a disguise, you know, to make people think something about me. That wasn't necessarily true, even though I may have thought that it was true. When you're when you're not tough, you might think that you're tough. Like you might think that when you get mad and yell about stuff that you're being tough, but uh, but but trust me, you're you're not tough. But back on the album, the thing that was really interesting about Danza Four to me was that even though the band is objectively just as crazy, just as heavy, just as in your face as they were on, say, Danza 3, these songs hit way differently. These songs hit on a more introspective and emotional level. The song meanings are actually a lot more clear. Certain songs about backstabbing friends, songs about unfaithfulness in a relationship, songs about soldiers fighting overseas. And they sort of share all of these concepts, not only through the lyrics, but also through various sound samples that are scattered all over the record. And even just some more atmospheric songs. There's like a lot more like instrumental noise going on on this record. And lots of sort of instrumental respites, so to speak. So even though this band is absolutely going to beat you over the head with brutality it has this sort of introspective undertone to it. Their singer Jesse's screaming voice 
is also delivered in a very emotional way, but still angry. Like, because anger is an emotion, right? But anger does not always necessarily equal aggression. And so his delivery is actually, to my ears, very heartfelt. But it's also the kind of record that if you show it to somebody that doesn't listen to music like this, it's going to seem really angry and seem really, really, really tough. And that theme of being introspective and being emotional under the sort of guise of aggression and toughness was really, really important to me and turned out to actually be very instrumental in me sort of surviving my way through this difficult chapter of my life, which we can get into. So before I worked as a cable technician, I worked at a video game store. I worked at that store for two years, and my day-to-day duties included boxing video games up that we had sold on eBay and putting copies of Call of Duty into PlayStation 3s that we had set up so that little kids could come and play Call of Duty all day as long as they bought an energy drink or something along those lines. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it wasn't like a very physically demanding job. The boss was super, super cool. We would sit there and drink beers late into the night and play video games. And it was super cool, but unfortunately, it just didn't pay anything. And by the time my wife and I had bought a house, I needed to to start making a little bit more money every month than I was making. Because I think at the time, I was making maybe a little bit more than minimum wage. And uh, it just wasn't cutting it. So I started looking for new jobs. And one of the first ones that caught my eye was this cable installer position. And my brother, coincidentally, actually worked at the cable company. And so I called him up to try to get kind of a better idea of what the job was going to be like. He was like, oh, yeah, cable installer. You You just install people's TV and Internet and phone and all that. And it's no big deal. And I said, okay, cool. And looking back on it, I really should have asked a lot more specific questions than I asked because I had always just assumed that the cable guy was a guy that came out and turned your internet on by flipping a couple of switches. But it actually turns out that your cable guy does a hell of a lot more work than that. I applied for the job and I did the interviews and I was like, yeah, I'm totally into it, totally into it. Again, at the end of the interview, whenever they asked me if I had any questions for them, I should have asked them a lot more questions than I asked them. Because two weeks later, I pull up to my first day of training, and I think I'm just there for orientation. Because the first thing that I noticed is that whenever I woke up that morning, I had a little bit of a sniffle and a little bit of a headache. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but again, it turned out to be a much bigger deal than I had anticipated. So the very first thing that we did is we signed in, we did our tax paperwork, all the stuff that you do whenever you start a new job. And then they were like, all right, guys, uh, out in the parking lot, there's a whole bunch of ladders. I need you guys to go to these vans and pull these ladders down. And so I remember going to the van and trying to pull the ladder down. I had no idea how I was supposed to get this 28-foot ladder off the top of this van. And I'm kind of looking around at the other techs. And this is the first time that I noticed that the other guys that are there, they all look like they came from, you know, the middle of Missouri and 
they all look a lot more buff than me, a lot more fit than me, and a lot more used to being outside than me because they pulled those ladders down no problem, threw them up on their shoulders, and walked around in like these like weird square patterns that they were having us walk in with the ladders. We were basically practicing or simulating what it would be like if we were installing someone's cable. And it wasn't until that exact moment that I realized, oh my God, I'm going to have to like throw this ladder up on a telephone pole and climb to the top of it and run wires over streets. Because I'd seen guys out doing that kind of work before, but I had no idea that that was the type of job that I had applied for. And so I was like, oh my God, I've never done anything like this. But, you know, I was there and so I had to figure it out. And so eventually, after a lot of coaching, I was able to get the ladder on the right balance point and get it on my shoulder. Anyway, you don't need all the details on that. But needless to say, at the end of that day, I had started off, you know, in the morning with some sniffles and a little bit of a headache. By the end of the day, I had a full on fever going and I could barely breathe. And my shoulder that I had been carrying a 28 foot fiberglass extension ladder on all day was completely destroyed. When I woke up the next morning, I could barely move the upper half of my body at all. And so I was like, okay, well, that was pretty intense training. So we'll see what today has in store for us. Because even though I was like clearly sick and running a fever in the pre-COVID world, that didn't matter. You just, you had to go to work, you know, you couldn't call in, especially to dudes like that. And tell them, hey, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a headache. I, I'm not going to be able to make it in, especially when it's like your second day of work. So I drove up there. And that day, we were going to practice what you do in the event that you can't get your ladder up a pole. Much to my horror, I start seeing all of these guys strapping climbing spikes to the bottom of these big, thick boots that we were issued. And they actually expected me to be able to gaff all the way up that pole using nothing but spikes on my shoes. And it just seemed so ludicrous to me at the time. But I tried it, and all day in the sweltering heat, I tr attempted my very, very best to gaff my way up the pole. And I think I made it like two or three feet up the pole on that first day, and I just couldn't handle it. I was sick. I had a fever. I started throwing up. They had all of these, like, they had like, five or six poles all lined up in what they called the pole yard. And there was basically just like a whole bunch of like wood chips and sawdust under the poles, I guess to cushion your fall if you were to accidentally fall off. I remember getting down from the pole my last time and being like, I just, I can't do it anymore. My entire body was sore, burning up with a fever. And I just threw up all over those wood chips. And the trainer was like, all right, I think you've done enough for the day and sent me home. I remember driving home that night thinking, I've made a huge mistake. I, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to do this. I, I, I don't have the gumption, the toughness, the manliness or whatever it is that it would take to do this kind of work. And I had never done anything like this before in my life. So I remember texting my boss at the game store being like, dude, I, I can't do this. 
uh, this is this is rough. And I so I called my supervisor, and my supervisor at the time was, for lack of a better term, a good old boy. He's the kind of guy that had been doing this kind of work forever. None of my complaints seemed to face him at all. He was the kind of guy that if you looked at him too long, he'd turn around and say, You want a piece of me, boy? And so after talking to him for about 10 minutes, he was just like, what do you what do you want me to do? And I was like, no, nothing. I don't know. I'll figure it out. So I went home that weekend and kind of briefly passed away, just like laid down on my couch and listened to soft, calming music. The enti- I think it was a Porter's Head record that I was – it might have been Dummy. But anyway, I listened to that record, and I was just like, ugh, how am I supposed to do this? So once I got through training, which took me an additional week, I think the other guys actually got to start a week before I did. Once I was able to finally build up enough muscle to be able to do this type of work, they sent me out on what's called a disconnect route. And the disconnect route is terrifying in the sense that instead of going to people's houses and installing their cable, your only job is to disconnect people's cable. And more specifically, you're disconnecting people's cable who didn't pay their bill. And so at that point, not only am I terrified of the physical implications of doing this job, but also the idea that an angry person could come out and start shouting at me or threatening violence towards me. And I remember whenever I got my first route of disconnects, I was terrified because not only did I have to go all these places that I had never gone before in different areas, some of them as far away as an hour away from my house, but I had already being so bumbling and so like unskilled at taking a ladder down and using various tools and putting on all of the extra equipment that you had to put on for climbing. I had already nicked up my hands, my fingers, my palms. I'd slam, accidentally slammed my hand in the van door a couple of times. I'd gotten my fingers caught in the ladder as I was trying to extend it out. I had a rope burn on one of my palms. And it was just so demoralizing to have to call my boss every day and explain why I hadn't actually finish the route that I was given. And um, it was funny because he said something to me to the effect of, man, I thought a guy that drove up blasting that heavy metal music every day would be made of sterner stuff than this. I was like, okay, well, you know, you can't really judge somebody's level of toughness based on the kind of music they listen to. Even though I'm the same guy that would be all like, hey, bro, just want to let you know I'm into the super brutal stuff, right? But at the time, I was just like, wow, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just not... Anyway, how this story ends up panning out is that I started taking that Tony Danza album very seriously because I didn't have a CD player in the van and I had to do a lot of driving. I got paid hourly to drive a lot. And so I started taking advantage of that. But since I didn't have a CD player in the truck, I did have a Sony Discman and my copy of Danza 4. And uh, I, so I would put in the disc man and then I had a radio transmitter. So what that was is like you'd plug it into the headphone jack of your CD player and then you would, you would tune the radio on the van to a very specific station that wasn't being used at that time. And uh, that is basically how I ended up driving around probably close to 35 to 40 hours a week literally listening to Danza 4 on loop. One, 
And what that record did for me is it sort of gave me something to hone in on to ignore the pain of what I was going through. And as months and months started to tick by, my muscles got stronger. My hands got stronger. Literally and figuratively, my skin got thicker. And that record is single-handedly the thing that I focused in on the most so that I could ignore the pain of what I was putting my body through every day. And on a normal episode, that would 100% be the end of the story, and I would tell you that it, the record is a 10 out of 10. It's one of my favorite records of all time. I've got a lot of nostalgic memories of that record from that time period in my life. But there is one really critical thing that this record helped me get through. So three years into my career as a cable technician, I had graduated from being a guy that just disconnects people's cable to spending a couple of years as just a new installer, going to people's houses, running cable in all various weather conditions. We're talking sub-zero temperatures, super, super hot surface of the sun level heat in the summer. I live in St. Louis, so the weather just kind of goes all over the place depending on what day of the week it is. I ended up having to crawl underneath trailers, in the mud, in the rain, climb poles while there was lightning flashing overhead outside. This many years into it, I didn't think anything of it anymore. It was literally just part of my daily life. And, you know, as I had said, that Danza record definitely helped me sort of get to that point. But I hadn't listened to it in a long time. I no longer had to listen to music just on a CD player with a radio transmitter. Mostly I would just listen to music on my phone, right? Because I had figured out how to drop MP3 files onto it. And I remember one night I was about to go home. I had worked a pretty long day already and it was already dark outside. And my dispatcher calls me. And I remember picking up the phone and being like, hey, dude, my phone's only got 2% battery. Like, what's going on? And he's like, dude, I've got a trouble call I need you to go do that is literally two minutes away from where you're at right now. And I was like, all right, give me the address because my phone's going to die. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, okay. So I, I kind of pulled it up in Google Maps and wrote down, you know, the basic directions on how to get there. It ended up really being very, very close to where I was. So I agreed to do it for whatever reason, even though it was last minute. And uh, as soon as I was done writing down the instructions, my phone died. And I was like, crap. And even though I knew it was only like a two-minute drive, it was still annoying. So then I started rustling around in my relatively disorganized cable van, looking to see if I still had my CD book and my CD player. Because even if this guy is going to only ride for like three or four minutes somewhere, I, I still have to be listening to something. It's just kind of a nervous tick that I have. And uh, I was surprised to see that I still had the CD book, even though it had literally been in the van for years. And I had the CD player and Danza 4 was sitting right in there just like it always had. And so I remember popping it in, tuning to the right radio station, and I skipped all the way to my favorite song on the album, which is the title song, The Alpha, The Omega, and I drove over to this dude's house. 
And I got there before the song was over, and I just sat there and listened to the ending breakdown like three or four or five or six times, just kind of rewinding the CD all the way to that point. Because, dude, the breakdown at the end of that song is absolutely incredible. And I was already in a bad mood anyway, and this was the thing that was going to pump me up and give me the energy to do this one last call for the day. Since my phone was dead, I went ahead and just left it in the truck and just sort of crossed my fingers that this was going to be something that was going to be really, really easy for me to do. So I got my cable meter out, and I went and knocked on this dude's door. And I remember knocking three or four times because it took the guy like probably five or six minutes to actually open up the door to the point where like, I was already tired and sort of pissed off and was like, I'm going to leave if he doesn't answer like right now. (laughs) He finally opens up the door and before he even says anything, I see that this dude has sores literally all over his face. And uh, I can't confirm that they were meth sores, but they, they may very well have been meth sores. Because whenever he sort of smiled at me, I, I saw that his teeth were, were not the traditional color. Somewhere more along the lines of a bluish green. And the smell that was emanating from the open door was that super chemical burning smell. Almost like cleaning chemicals mixed with cat urine. And uh, I was like, great. My, my last service call for the day is going to be at a straight-up meth house. This is fantastic. And I'd like to say that that was the first time I'd ever encountered that, but it, it wasn't. So I kind of just put on my best smile, still pumped up from that breakdown, and I was like, all right, man, what seems to be the problem? And the first thing that I noticed is that the guy had, like, a very nervous tick to his talking. He seemed very, like, you know, very very upset but not like the way a sane person is upset. You know, like he wasn't like angry or shouting at me, but he was like, I have a problem. I have a problem. There's something, there's something, something with my internet. It's fluttering. And I was like, well, you know, the internet typically doesn't flutter. He's like, you're just going to have to take a look at it. So like I, I, against my better judgment, walked into this dude's house with no phone and I was like, yeah, show me what your computer's doing. And he's like, and so he takes me over to his computer and I'm looking at it. And despite it being in horrible condition with all kinds of disgusting stains all over it and screen having fingerprints all over it, I I just went to his computer. I opened up a web browser. I went to Google. Everything seemed to be fine. And I was like, well, I can run a speed test, but it looks like your internet's working fine. And he's like, no, don't you see, man, it's, it's fluttering don't you see that it's fluttering? And I was like, uh, I'm not really, really sure. He's like, I think it's probably just like the connections or something. And I was like, well, you know, maybe, but you, but your internet's working fine. And he's, and so I went back and forth with this guy for like 10 or 15 minutes as he just kept telling me the same thing over and over and over again. And me kind of looking for an exit strategy. I pulled out an old strategy that I always pull on people that are not listening to me when I'm trying to help them with something. And I just said, Hey man, um, why don't I go downstairs and check a couple of things, you know, because typically that's where a lot of the internet wiring is, is in the basement. I was like, let me go look at the cables down there. And then, uh, you know, if there's anything that's down there that needs to be fixed, I will go fix it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to fix it. Got to fix the fluttering. Got to fix the fluttering. And I was like, okay, man, cool. So I went downstairs and I'm looking around in this basement and it's just like any other basement, uh, unfinished, there's washer, dryer, you know, it is kind of like a little bit stony. Like there, there's no drywall down there. It's not a livable basement, a drain for the washing machine right in the middle of the floor and like a sliding glass door. And as soon as I get down in the basement, 
I'm looking at the cabling and all of that. And he's like, do you see it? Do you see it? And I was all like, yeah, man, everything's looking pretty good. I'm not really looking at anything. This guy's clearly crazy. I'm just going to try to get out of the house. And uh, so I turn around to leave only to see the door slam right in front of me, blocking my exit from the basement. The guy's on the other side of the door yelling and screaming all kinds of crazy nonsense at me. And I was like, dude, this is insane. Like, did this dude literally just trap me in his basement? Like, am I am I actually being held prisoner by this guy? And I was like, well, this is stupid. He had a sliding glass door down there, so I walk over to the sliding glass door, and I pull on it, and it's only then that I realize that, like, it's being blocked from the outside. I can pull and pull and pull on that door, but I cannot open it. I was legit trapped inside this guy's basement. And there are certain situations in your life where you kind of just have to stand there and take it all in and try to figure out how it is that you got where you're at. You know, your fight or flight kicks in and you're not really sure what to do, but your brain starts trying to formulate a plan. So I beat on the guy's door, you know, I beat on the basement door. If you tell I was like, dude, this is not a good idea. This is not cool. Ha ha ha. Very funny. You know, let me out of here, man. You know, I've already checked everything down here. And he's like, no, you're going to stay in there until it stops fluttering. And at that point, I actually start to get kind of scared because I was like, this guy's clearly crazy. I don't know if he has a gun upstairs. I don't know, you know, really what's going to happen. So I decided to abandon my plan of antagonizing him further. And I remember just standing there, and just out of the corner of my eye, I kind of look, and I see the dude's breaker box. Maybe somebody that was in their right mind that was trying to imprison somebody, you know, would have had, like, a special place in their house where I guess they, like, catch people. But um, this guy gave me full access to his breaker box. So... I walk over to the breaker box, and I'm not really 100% sure why I did this, but I literally just grabbed the breaker and shut all the power in the house off. Everything went black. Dude on the other side of the door goes ballistic. He starts beating on the door, saying he's going to open it up, and I think that might have been my original plan. Like, if I can turn off the lights, he might get agitated enough to open the door, and then I can brush past him. But he basically just kept screaming and beating against the door. And at this point, my heart is racing faster than it has ever raced before. So realizing that I don't really have any other option at this point, I start looking at that glass door again. I'm not really sure what to do at this point. I'm standing there in the dark getting myself hyped up because at this point I know that there is only one way out of this basement and it's through that sliding glass door. So I'm standing there in the dark, breathing heavily with this dude screaming behind me, beating on the door, screaming about fluttering, fluttering, fluttering. And I'm psyching myself up, Dragon Ball Z style, trying to power up, power up, power up. And in my mind, a plan just comes to me. I'm like, dude, you can break the window. You can do it, you can break the window. And, and I just stood there in the dark and just played the scenario out of my head. I am going to pick up this cinder block that's on the floor and I'm going to hurl it through that window and then I'm going to jump out the window. But it's one of those things where you can't just do that. You have to plan it out in your head. And so I just stood there in the dark 
watching this plan play out in my head over and over and over again, which may have only been in a period of maybe two seconds. And I had already played through it in my head like five or six times what I was going to do. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking about that Tony Danza song, trying to get myself psyched up, get myself psyched up. And once I had been adequately psyched or powered up, I took one last deep breath, picked up the cinder block, and then I broke the window. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what happened after that. I know I got through the door okay. Uh, I didn't get cut on the broken glass, and I just peeled out of there as quickly as I could. And I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any information other than the directions that I had written down. And so I had to actually go somewhere and use a phone to call it in. I remember finally once I had a little bit of charge on my phone again, you know, just from driving and having it plugged into the charger, I texted my wife and said, yeah, you're not going to believe what happened to me tonight. All of that is to say that there are certain things in your life that come out of nowhere so quickly, and it's hard not to look back at everything that led up to that moment. And I still truly believe to this day that if I hadn't had Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza, Danza for the Alpha, the Omega, I would never have toughened up enough doing that cable job to do what I had to do to escape that insane situation. So thanks, Tony Danza. Thank you guys so much for listening to that insane episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and before you ask me, yes, that whole situation did 100% happen. And now, instead of having to tell this story in just social gatherings, I can just pull my phone out and I can show people this, this episode instead of having to recount that story word for word. But guys, thank you so much for listening, and if you guys like the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to it. I've got more insane stories, I've got more albums to talk about, and I've got more guests coming this season. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, but the best place to get a hold of me really is my Discord server. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you to the wonderful world of Discord where me and all the listeners of the show like to get together and share memes and talk about albums and talk about life. So if that's something that you want to do, 
definitely make sure to check out that Discord server. And I hope to see you guys on there soon, but if I don't, that's okay too, because you are going to see me again right here next week. Thank you.